Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. I knew that Adrian was back, so I'm just so glad that you're here. We love you. We missed you, and uh, just so thankful for what the Lord is doing. Man, it's been an awesome time. Um, we, I, I was at another church last week pre- preaching a Pastor Appreciation Day, uh, which those are always an honor to do. And then uh, the whole weekend was busy. I'm sure Rebecca told you we were in Lexington for the Mosaic Gathering, and uh, just absolutely amazing. It was a, an overflow from the revival that's taking place in Paris right now. And uh, so they broke those two nights, came to Mosaic, and, man, it was wild. It was awesome. And... Um, so then this Friday, Rebecca and I drove to Paris to be in the revival uh, just to, to see what's going on. Um, if revival's happening, I want to be there. And so that's just really why, why we did that. And it was good to be with Rick and Jennifer. And, and I will tell you that what's so amazing to me is, you know, Paris, Bourbon County, that's where uh, Cane Ridge is, you know, a historic place of revival. Um, but these people know that that was something that happened then, but God wants to do something now. The pastors at uh, River of Life Ministry, Keith and Krista Hampton, um, they are products of the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry, and um, so revival's in their blood. And and the most impressive thing, aside from the presence of Jesus in that room, was the hunger that I felt in the room. And I mean, the age range was unbelievable. It, it was from from child to you know more experienced adults. Uh, that that the hunger was so amazing from the from the moment that they started, and and really even before that, in in pre service prayer, uh, they invited us to come back and and, and pray. And so I, I really want you. I want this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray for the revival that's happening in Paris. I'm convinced that that. What we're asking God to do, we have to be totally okay if it's happening somewhere other than awakening, right? Yeah, that, 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 because we want it all across Kentucky. And um, I didn't even tell Rick this the other night. I'm going to tell him eventually. But um, I, I think we're going to reclaim the Bourbon Trail. It's starting in Bourbon County, the revival starting in Bourbon County, and I think what we're going to do in revival in Kentucky is reclaim that Bourbon Trail. And it's not going to be anything to do with Kentucky bourbon or alcohol, but it's going to be to do with the fire of the Holy Spirit and the wine that he's releasing across Kentucky. Can anybody believe for that? Can we just pray right now for that revival? Let's just do that right now. Just lift your voice. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you right now on behalf of the revival that's happening at River of Life Ministries in Paris. God, we just say blow wind on that revival right now. I ask for more testimonies of healing, more testimonies of salvation, more testimonies of the power of God, more manifestations of your presence. God, I'm asking for strength for Rick and Jennifer Curry, strength for Keith and Krista Hampton. God, I'm just asking that you would blow wind on the revival in Paris and let it be a first fruits for what you want to do across the state of Kentucky. And we make declaration in the spirit today that we want to reclaim the bourbon trail for the power of the Holy Ghost in Kentucky in Jesus' name. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ha. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just want to tell you another story. This is so cool. From that night, we were there right before Rick was getting ready to go 
speak, he, he came over and he grabbed me. He said, dude, I just got a text from the new pastor at Brownsville Assembly of God, Evan Horton. And he said for 30 days they've been feeling the necessity to pray for revival again. Many of you know the, the revival uh, that happened at Brownsville. You may not have known that it broke out on Father's Day, 1995. Do it again, Jesus. Anyway, he calls and he says, hey, we've been praying for some time, and we felt tonight, we felt that we needed to just live stream the revival in our prayer meeting at Brownsville Assembly. And so they were joining us in prayer. And, in, in, and listen, you know me well enough. I'm not asking God to just do Brownsville again because that was an amazing move at that time. But he has something held up for us right now. And he also, he, he's a master at mingling streams and, and mingling generations. It's the synergy of, gener, it's generational synergy. It's the synergy of the ages coming together. And I believe that what God is doing is it's, it's going to surpass anything that we've known in the past, but we can't negate what happened in the past because God is still moving and he's still doing things. Uh, I've, I've been sharing this a lot, and, and you guys have, have heard me share some of this, but we've got to remove the idea of, of temporary from God. It's not even in his vocabulary. Did you know that? Temporary is not in his vocabulary. Why? Because he is still in day one. The word that he spoke in day one, let there be light, is still causing the sun to shine at 186,000 miles per second. Come on, man. He is outside of time and speaks into time. So he has the ability to merge all of these streams and all of these moves. Man, I'm, I want some stuff that happened at Pentecost because he's still right there pouring out the Holy Spirit. I want some stuff that happened at Cane Ridge and, and Old Mulkey and, and these other revival places around the nation. You know what? I, I want some stuff that happened at, at Barney Creek at Shearer Schoolhouse. That's my heritage. Let me just say that. I want some of that stuff because they were after something. They were after something. And so I, I'm, I'm so excited about what God is doing. Is anybody, are, do you have faith for a move of revival across this state? Do you really have faith for it or is it just something token that we talk about? Because if it is, let's do something else. I want the real thing. I want the real thing, and I don't want anything but the real thing, period. And whatever he has to adjust in me. Jennifer Curry said something to me at the Mosaic meeting, and it absolutely shook me to the core. She was talking about the revival. Many of you know that Rick and Jennifer were in a revival in the Panhandle a few years ago that swept across uh, Pensacola, Panama City, Destin, all these different places. And she said, it reminds me of that, and, and yes, we're tired, but you have to make adjustments when revival comes. You make adjustments and you do what you have to do. And so for those of us who are content, man, I'm not even talking about this at all today. But for those of us who are content with our everyday normal life, I just want to help you. You can have that. I want nothing to do with it. I want the power of the Holy Spirit leading me in every way and in every option and every opportunity. And so I'm asking him. I'm asking him those dangerous questions. What adjustments do I have to make? What adjustments do I have to make to live a life burning in revival? That's what I want.
So, God, we say come do what you want to do. Come shake everything that can be shaken so that only what is of you remains. Shake our desires. Shake our ambitions. Shake us out of complacency. Shake us out of selfishness. I want to ask the question like they did in the Hebrides revival. Are our hands clean? And are our hearts pure? That we may ascend the hill of the Lord. Are our hands clean? And are our hearts pure before you? Jesus. Jesus, we want you. We want you in greater measure. Increase our capacity. Increase our capacity to have you. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, let's jump into this, and we'll just see what happens. Thanks, guys. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We're just going to do one verse today as the text. We'll reference some other stuff, but just one verse as the text. And that's going to be, I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation, Romans 15, 13. I've been meditating on this scripture for several weeks now. One night in a prayer meeting, the Lord just led me to this scripture and really never planned on preaching about this scripture or even going any deeper than us just praying through it in prayer meeting. But um, he really has, has shown me a few things that I want to talk about today. So Romans fifteen thirteen, <clears throat> out of the Passion Translation. <clears throat> Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. And that's good enough. We just ought to read that again. Is that okay? Now may God, here's what I like about what Paul does right here. He says, I want to reference God, but then I want to tell you a little bit about his character. Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, that's who he is, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace, here's what you have to do, as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. And that's good all by itself. I really today, I just want to take you on a journey into another chamber of the Father's heart. Today I'm, I'm, I'm asking and I'm praying that, that you would look with different eyes today. That you would hear with different ears. And I want you to experience a life of fullness that is available in the in him dimension. We've been talking about the in him dimension for some time. And I really, really want you to, to hear today 
with, with, with different ears and to see with different eyes another aspect of the Father. Your belief in who God is in you, for you, and through you is the foundation of your approach to him in a devotional life. What you believe about God in you, through you, and for you is the way that you approach him in your life of devotion. However, it's also your foundation for how you approach everyday life. I want you to think about that. There, there are so many times that many of us will, will go through our day and, 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 and not, even, not even be cognizant of the moving of the Holy Spirit because we've become so adept at doing what we do. And I want to tell you that that's a byproduct of your belief in who God is in you and who he is through you and who he is for you. If you are able to live your life every day and not acknowledge the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life, it's an indicator that he does not have the first place. We're not going to stay here long, but I want you to catch this, that we live our lives doing only what we know to do, being the way that we know to be, and oftentimes we remove the idea of the Holy Spirit working in us. One of the subtle tactics of the enemy is to create a diversion in your life that causes you to compartmentalize your walk with God. This is why, this is, listen, seriously, this is why churches all over this nation can be filled today, but tomorrow there be no exercise, there be no uh, adherence to what the Lord is doing and what he is saying for our nation. It's because one of the subtle tactics of the enemy is for you to compartmentalize your walk with him so that the enemy has the opportunity to create a place where you really remove the involvement of heaven in your world in everyday life. He wants to cause a diversion that will cause you to be separate, that will cause you to separate your walk with God and what is happening every day with your job, with your family, with your spouse, with your kids. He wants to do that. I want you to understand it's a subtle tactic because we get caught up in the mundane of life. We get caught up in the cycles of getting up, going to work, getting up, going to school, doing what we have to do. We get caught up in all of these things. It's a subtle tactic of the enemy to have you remove that from your walk with God and the involvement of heaven in your life. Are you with me? This, is, this one right here, what I'm about to say is my opinion. When you live your life like that, when you live your life compartmentalized, here's my God compartment, here's my life compartment, and I'm not going to let God spill over into life, and I'm not going to let life spill over into God. When you do that, it's an invitation to living a sterile Christian life. A sterile Christian life. You remember Psalm 78, the scariest scripture in the Bible for me? is that because they did not remember what the Lord had done for them, he caused them for their days to be consumed in futility. 
It's the scariest thing for somebody like me. That we would walk every day and try to do this and come together and we would, we, would, we would come together and beat the drum of revival and awakening and the goodness of God and to consume our days in futility. Ultimately, that would mean that what we're doing ultimately would not matter. That's what the enemy is after. He wants us to compartmentalize. He wants us to live a sterile Christian life. He's fine for you going through routine. He's fine with you being connected to religion. He's fine with you being a good church member. He's fine with that. What he's not fine with is you getting a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost in fire that causes you to reproduce. He's actually okay if you reproduce the compartmentalizing. He's okay with that. As a matter of fact, he'll help you. See, Jesus, 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 Jesus. The next thing that it does... Is it called, here, here's what compartmentalizing does. causes you to live a sterile Christian life, which is really an oxymoron. They, they don't go together. But somehow the church in America has found a way to uh, not only make it a product, sell T-shirt, do, do, do the whole deal. I mean, we've, we've got a sales pitch for the non-productive Christian life. The next thing it does is it causes us to live our lives directed by our finite intellect instead of being led by Holy Spirit. We live our lives based on what we think. We live our lives based on how everything is going in the natural. Did you know that if you live your life only based on what you see in the natural, you're going to be a really, really depressed human being eventually? I'm just telling you, if, if what is in the natural, if that is what drives you, if that is what sustains you, you will eventually find yourself so jacked up because of what you see that you're not even going to want to function in life. You're not even going to want to function. And, and so the enemy, he, he does these things and he wants to do it. Listen, there's a reason that the wisest man to ever live said, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. There's a reason he said that. And I love the way the Passion Translation says it. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. Some of y'all need to be blessed with the idea that you need to not listen to your opinions until they are motivated by Holy Spirit. I'm serious. Listen, if you think we don't have conversations like that at the Bain House, something comes up and one of us will... Now, now is that Holy Spirit? Listen... Oh, my goodness, sometimes it gets on my nerves. Because Rebecca asked me, now, is that Holy Spirit talking to you? No, it ain't Holy Spirit talking to me. It's me talking. <laughs> Seriously. And I'll do the same to her. I'll do the same. I'll ask her. I'll say, is that what the Lord's saying? And sometimes she responds just like that. I know y'all can't believe that Rebecca would respond like that, like I just did. And that I'm the only one that would. But sometimes, I'm backpedaling, I'm backpedaling. Don't rely on your own opinions. Did you know sometimes, listen, I love to tell my kids this sometimes, especially because I challenge everybody, if, you've, if you come to tell me something and you say I just feel like this, I'm going to challenge that every time. Why do you feel like that? Where were you when you felt like that? Is it your feeling that's leading you? Because if it is, we're definitely going to do the opposite because we're not moved by our emotions, right? We feel our emotions, but we're not led by them. So why do you feel like, oh, they get so aggravated. 
just just because I feel that way, okay, but we're not we're not going to make a major decision in our life just because you feel like that's what you should do. We have to have something that that leads us and grounds us, and and, and so. We can't be led by our own opinions. And one of the things we tell our kids all the time, opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. They all smell. Seriously. And so don't, I I love this. Don't be led by your own opinions. Is this okay? I know it's just super practical, but is, is it all right? That sometimes our opinions are jaded by Fox News. Sometimes our opinions are jaded by CNN News. Sometimes our here we go. Sometimes your opinion is jaded by Facebook, which is absolutely ridiculous. Although Abraham Lincoln did say that 97% of all stats on the internet are true. Do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you. Come on. Come on, and he will lead you in every decision you make. Where is room for compartmentalizing when he will lead you in every decision that you make? Where is that? You, you don't find it. And, and so I really want us to, to, to see this. This is, did you know that that scripture right there, it's really foundational for living a life led by Holy Spirit. It's, found, it's the first thing. So we don't need to go on to other things if we don't have this one down right. Right? Because then you start creating people that want to prophesy out of their opinion. We call that prophesy. That ain't prophesying. You ever been around somebody that prophesies out of emotion? They'll get in the room and they'll feel something. Oh, I just feel something in the room. I guarantee you do. Absolutely. You're not prophetic because you did that. What's Holy Spirit saying about how we can adjust the atmosphere and be his light in this room? Let's talk about that. That's what makes you prophetic. Is that okay? So this is really foundational in regard to living a life led by Holy Spirit. This, this is challenging right here. Are you ready? Unfortunately, the reason that this is a challenge for us is that we have more trust in our ability than we do in the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We have more trust in our ability than we do in the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So much so that we will accept failure in an area as normal rather than tap into the perspective of heaven because it may look like a risk. Oh, I'm saying that again. Y'all ain't shouting now. Unfortunately, the reason is that, that, we, that this is a challenge is because we have more trust in our ability than we do the leadership of the Holy Spirit, so much so that we will accept failure in an area as normal rather than tap into the perspective of heaven because it may look like a risk. And I don't want to live my life as normal. My favorite phrase about that is, normal sucks. And I don't want to live my life as normal. You know what normal looks like? Normal looks like incredible amounts of debt. Normal looks like divorce. Normal looks like kids running around crazy. Normal looks like addiction. Normal looks like all of these things that the culture is trying to paint a picture for us, and we get trapped in this cycle of, I don't know if I can believe for anything other than that because it may look like risk, and what will people think if I look that way? 
And we don't move based on the movement of the Holy Spirit. We move based on our emotions and how we feel. And it will lead you down a path that you do not want to go down. Misplaced trust or a lack of trust in God through the leadership of the Holy Spirit is an immediate indicator that he doesn't have the first place in your life and that you have some knowledge of him, but your opinion is still higher ranking than that of heaven. I want you to ask yourself right now, in the depth of who I am, does heaven's opinion matter more than mine? And if so, why is there even a vote? Why is there even a vote? This is one of the core values. Listen, this is one of the core values of kingdom culture. I've been teaching this everywhere I go in every class. Anybody that will listen to me, I've been talking about this for the last little bit. This is one of the core values of kingdom culture, that God is good all the time, and his goodness is never based on the current situation that I'm in. That the current situation that I am in right now has no ability to change whether or not God is good. And if it does, then we have an inferior knowledge of who he really is. And can I tell you that I lived most of my Christian life that way? I lived most of my Christian life with an inferior knowledge of the goodness of God because I thought it was totally based on circumstances. And more than that, I thought it was based on my ability to perform. It's called religion. That's what that is. We, we, we get, man, we get so jacked up. We think religion is because somebody wants to do an old song. I, I just want to throw stuff at people like that. Seriously. That's not religion. You, you're not even deep enough to know what religion is. If you think it just has to do with the style of a song or the style of a service or the way that somebody preaches or, no. It has to do with the fact that you think that you have to perform to make something happen. That's what religion does to cause you to think that Jesus died for your sins, but now you have to do it too. Right? And, and, and so I really want us to understand. I want us to get this idea that, that the reason we don't trust God is because we don't know if he's good or not when things are going bad. And it's a foundational value in the kingdom. I don't know if he's good enough to save my family. I, I, I don't know if he's good enough to save my finances. I, I, I don't know if he's good enough to heal because, man, look at them. Look at them. They're, they're, they're laying there and they're lifeless and I'm praying and nothing's happened. It must mean God's not good or, or, or they lived a terrible life. or Man, we put so much stock in who we are. We put so much stock in what we have the ability to do, and that's not what God wants. I promise I'm going somewhere. I promise I am. God's goodness is never based on the situation that I'm in. Cool? All right. Now, this text that I read to you. Paul is closing his letter to the Romans. And in this closing, he's speaking of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, that he came, but he didn't just come for the Jewish people. you got to read it all in context. I just gave you one verse, so you're going to have to read it or trust me, one or the other. Yeah, I say read it. Did you hear my wife? She said read it. <laughs> we, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he is, he's talking about the reign of Jesus among the Gentiles, okay? He's closing out Romans 
which is an amazing book. And, and he gets this verse, but right before he gets to this verse, okay, right before he gets to this verse, he reaches way back into prophetic history to confirm the connection of the Jewish Messiah to all nations of the world. He, he literally quotes Isaiah 11.10. I'm going to read it for you. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. He reaches back into prophetic history to relay a message to the Gentiles who are under Roman oppression at this time to let them know that there is a God of hope like you've never met before. Did you know that sometimes when you're dealing with all of the junk of life, that the best thing you can do is to reach back into your prophetic history and pull out who God said you were and who he continues to say he was. Listen, he did not forget about the word. Remember what I said, temporary is not in his vocabulary. He's still in the moment when you were shaken and fallen out and got the word. He's still right there declaring that prophetic word over you and sometimes when life gets the best of you you have to reach back into the prophetic history of who you are man I've got so many words over me that I've not seen come to pass yet and when the enemy comes I just get them out and I just start just here they are just over and over and over and over again I'm just laying them out so you can see the prophetic history that is on my life that's on my kids my kids start acting crazy that's not who you are I'll dial it up on my phone in a minute this is who you are right here's the word I got the word I got the date I can tell you about it the prophetic history of what God says is so much more powerful than what you're dealing with right now and so Paul reaches back into prophetic history and uses words like the root of Jesse. I could take a lap right now. Just the root of Jesse, the tribe of Judah, the son of David. You know what I'm saying? I could just do it. I, I, I mean, seriously. The root of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Probably one of the worst fathers in the Bible, just to be honest. No, no, no. I don't have another son. No. I'm coming to anoint the king, and I'm coming to get your sons, Jesse. Do you have No, no, I don't have another one. Well, maybe there's a dude that's out here in the desert. Seriously, he was not getting father of the year. About his shepherd boy that God was wanting to use. So Paul reaches back into prophetic history. Why? Because he can redeem that thing. Oh, Jesus. I wouldn't even go preach that. That's good, though. He can go back into a father who was jacked up and redeem that so much that he can put that in your prophetic history so that when, when he does need to pull it out, he can say, listen, this guy came from some folks that were jacked up. Is anybody thankful that we have Bible stories of people who did amazing exploits in the Bible who came from some jacked up family? I'm putting every one of y'all on the website. They said y'all was jacked up, but thank the Lord, here we are. Some of y'all got family in the room. You wouldn't, you wouldn't amening. You wouldn't lifting your hand. You wouldn't doing nothing. But it's true. And we all know it's true. How many of you got jacked up family? Tell the truth. There you go. There you go. I got jacked up family too. I'm talking about loco. Loco. 
Sometimes you got to reach back into your prophetic history. Does anybody understand that? Remember when Paul told Timothy, he said, you got to fight the good fight of faith. How you do that? He said, you go back and you remember the words that were spoken to you when we laid hands on, when your mama laid hands on you, when I laid hands on you, and you stir up that gift that's on the inside of you. I'm so tired of us stirring up all the junk and not stirring up the gift that's on the inside. We stir just enough to activate the, 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 the junk that's on the inside of us and the debris that's swirling around. But if you stir that thing long enough and keep adding some water and keep adding some stuff, eventually that debris is going to get out. It's going to jump out the top. And so you have to remember the prophetic words that have been spoken over your life. I pray to God that today you go back and you look at some prophetic words that you have that maybe have not come to pass yet, but you've been holding on to for a long time. I want you to know that God is trying to let you know there's hope in the fact that he spoke to you then and he still has a plan for your future. So you got to reach into the prophetic history. This is what Paul is doing. In the midst of Roman oppression, I don't even have time to talk to you about how bad the oppression of Rome was in this. Nero was possibly the craziest person to, uh, listen, he makes Hitler look like somebody that is nice. If you study what Nero did, this dude would impale Christians in his garden and set them on fire for light in his garden so he could walk just to look at his garden. That's just one of the things he did. I could tell you about some crazy torture tactics that Nero did. And in this oppression, hello, America is bad. I get so, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things that's wrong with this country. There's a lot of things that are wrong. A lot of things that are happening. But, but when I think about what we have to deal with and what these Christians across the globe have to deal with, in regard to persecution, I always remember what Paul said. He said, you not yet had to bleed for the gospel. So one of the things we need to do is understand the magnitude of the moment we're in, but also posture our hearts to say, thank you that I have what I have and the ability to do what I do. So in the midst of this crazy oppression of Rome, God starts talking to Paul about hope. He begins to reach into prophetic history and declare that the Lord had prepared this moment for unwavering trust and hope in, in Jesus, the Son of the living God. What he's doing is prophesying that where you find yourself right now is pointing to the plan that God had for you even before you were born. Nobody he's writing to was born when Isaiah was prophesying about the root of Jesse. And so he reaches into that and says, listen, God was preparing this before you were born, probably before your great-great-grandfather was born. He was preparing you for this moment so that you could handle what's going on right now through the help of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to break this down. I want to break this scripture down really quick into two parts. The first part is, now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust him. I want you to see the identification of who God is, and I want you to see your part in that. Now may God, who is God? He's the inspiration and the fountain of your hope. What does he want to do? He wants to fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust him. That's why I was talking to you about trusting him earlier, because these things are what are available uncontainable joy 
and perfect peace. How many of you could handle some perfect peace in your life right now? As you trust him. It didn't say as you trust Ryan. It didn't say as you trust whatever your name is. It didn't say as you trust your mama, your daddy, your uncle, your granny. It said as you trust him, the release and byproduct of trusting him is that you get uncontainable joy and perfect peace. Because he's a fountain of hope and inspiration. Paul alludes to the fact that God's identity in your life should look like him being the inspiration and fountain of the very reason that you have hope. The only reason I have hope is because he, his character, is the inspiration and the fountain of hope. Now, I'm going to show you something in just a moment. Don't put it up just yet. I'll tell you when to do it. I've had a chance to go the last two years to the base of Mount Shasta, which is just north of Redding, California, to the headwaters of the Sacramento River. And I'm going to tell you just a little bit about this river, okay? And then I'm going to show you what it looks like. The Sacramento River is the principal river of Northern California in the United States, and it's the largest river in California. The river flows south for 400 miles before reaching the Sacramento-San Joaquin River Delta and the San Francisco Bay. Watch this. The river drains about 26,500 square miles in 19 California counties, mostly with the fertile agricultural region bounded by coastal ranges and Sierra Nevada known as the Sacramento Valley, but also extending as far as the volcanic plateaus of northeastern California. Historically, its watershed has reached as far north as central Oregon. Get this. It discharges, the river discharges, at 28,139 cubic feet per second. That's pretty powerful. I want you to get that, 28,139 cubic feet per second. It affects well over a million people. This river that flows through, through, through California, and if you've ever done any, any traveling there, I guarantee you've crossed over the Sacramento River because it winds back and forth through 19 counties is what this affects. It's the largest river in California. And I want to show you what it looks like. Can you put that up there? Yeah, the video. Yeah. I want you to look at that. In the natural, can you look at that and see 28,139 cubic feet per second? You can just mute it. Just mute the channel. This is the beginning of the Sacramento River that does everything that I just told you about. The starting place looks like it is merely a creek. It looks as though it's insignificant. However, it expands and becomes a raging river that affects millions of people. My situation is bleak. Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. Ryan, you have no idea how bad it is. You're right. Some of you have stories that would blow my mind. 
And I in no way want to negate that. But I want to talk to you about a God who is a fountain, who is an inspiration and a fountain of your hope that even when it looks like that there's not much going on, it has the ability to produce in me something that can become a raging river. If you believe on me as the scripture has said, then out of your belly will come rivers of living water. But it starts as a fountain that flows and it looks like a creek and there's even some moss on the rocks. But do you know how pure that water is? That water is so pure that both times I've been there, we've been able to get down and get water in our bottles and drink it immediately. It's drinking water for people all over Mount Shasta. They come there to get their drinking water because it's so pure. And what I want you to see is that he, as inspiration and the fountain of hope, is in you just like this. Even when it looks bleak and it looks like you don't know what you're going to do and it feels like Maybe it's just a trickle. That's coming out of the base of rocks that are coming down a mountain. I'm going to show you in just a minute where it comes from. But I want you to get this idea that what he's trying to say to us today is that the beginning place of hope and inspiration is something that will spring out of you. And it's your trust that uncaps the limitation of your mind and moves you into a place where you have hope like you have never had. You have joy like you've never had. And you have peace like you've never had. But you have to be able to see past the trickle. At the same time, you have to be able to celebrate the purity of the trickle that's on the inside of you. Man, a fountain and an inspiration of hope. Now I want you to see where it starts. Put the picture up there. That's Mount Shasta. Right here, we're probably, I don't know, where we, maybe the, I, I don't even remember where I took this picture. We might have been at 7,000 feet. It goes to 14,000 feet. Here's what I want to tell you. Pretty picture, right? How does it correlate? You remember in Ezekiel chapter 47, when the angel came to Ezekiel, and he said, I want you to get your measuring stick, and I want you to measure the river that's coming from the temple. Well, when you study that out, you realize that that river is coming from the snow-capped mountains just east of the temple. And the river is rushing down through the temple as a trickle that eventually goes ankle-deep, and then knee-deep, and then waist-deep, and then chest-deep, and then over my head here's what I want you to understand that sometimes when you need to hope you're at the coldest most distant place that you could ever find yourself you feel like you've been disconnected you feel like you're distant from the voice of God you feel like everything is going crazy and you're spinning out of control and he wants you to know that he has the ability in a moment when you begin to trust him that those snow-capped mountains can begin to dissipate and they'll begin to melt and it will flow down and it may only come to you as a trickle but he has the ability to produce in you something that will cause a raging river to come out of the inside of who you are where are you at are you at the distant place are you at the place where it's a trickle or are you at the place where it's a raging river on the inside of you this is what Paul is saying. 
He's the inspiration. He's the fountain of hope that's on the inside of you. Here's the, here's the B clause, and I'm, I'm getting ready to be done. The B part of that verse, after he tells us who God is, and may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. Do you know Jesus? How many times do you think that the state of California has to come and replenish that snow? Never happens. How many times do you think that they have to come and, and, and get water by the bucket loads and take it to somebody else from the little tricker? Never happens. How many times do you think that they have to go and put on an emergency because the river's getting low? It never happens. It's a consistent flow of what's happening in that state. And I want to tell you that what God wants to do is move you into a place of super abundance. Not this idea of I never have enough. Not this idea of what are you going to do now? I don't understand. But super abundance. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with super abundance until you radiate with hope. Until you reflect hope. Man, that's what I want to be. I want to reflect hope. When somebody comes to talk to me, I want them to see hope on the inside of me. I don't want them to see horrible situations. I want them to see the hope of Jesus. I want to reflect who he is. The byproduct of being bought in to a real trust of God is super abundance, overwhelmingly enough until your reflection is hope. What is super abundance? I want to ask you another question. What do you need superabundance to be? What is it? What do you need it to be? What is it? What is superabundance? The, the enemy has so robbed some of you that you can't even dream about superabundance. And I want to ask you, I, I want to incite you to dream again. What is superabundance? What do you need it to be? What do you need it to be? Do you know that that's what God was saying when he told I am? Terrible translation for all of you KJV onlys. I am that I am has sent you. Do you know what the depth of that is? I love the KJV. I really do. Actually, I want a, an old 1611 version. I really do. This big. I mean, I want to have to have sticks to carry it like they did the ark. Seriously. I, I love it. I love it. But there are things that are not as accurate in all of them. You understand that? It's still the infallible word of God. And you can go to the, the, the ancient text. Do you know I am that I am? Do you know what that really meant? Moses, I want you to go tell them that I am whatever it is you need me to be. Come on, man. Whatever it is that you need me to be in the moment, that's who I am. If you need me to be a serpent when you throw the staff down just like they did, that's what I'm going to be. If you need me to be peace, that's what I'm going to be. If you need me to be some frogs raining down on Egypt, that's what I'm going to be. If you need, to, you need me to be your healing, that's what I'm going to be. Whatever it is that you need me to be, that's who I'm going to be. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to surround your life with, super abundance. Whatever it is you need him to be, he wants to be that. You you just have to remove yourself from the first place and let him be the first place so that you can trust him enough to become what it is you need him to be. You know, sometimes I'll do something and I'll ask somebody to do something for me and I'll immediately leave that conversation and start doing what I just asked them to do. You ever done that? Am I the only crazy one in here, seriously? I'll be like, hey, can you go get that? Never mind, let me get that. Right? And we do it with God. 
God, I need you to help me. Let me help myself. I need you to help me, but I don't really think you're going to, so I'm going to go ahead and get plan B, C, D, and E, and F. And yeah, we end up in F, because that's failure most of the time when we try to do it in ourselves and not with him. <laughs> that's funny. I don't care who you are. Cam, come to the keyboard so I can get out of here. How do we get there? How do we get there? How do we get to this place? We've talked about where we are. We've talked about all of that stuff. We've talked about Mount Shasta. Man, that's pretty. Good job. Can't read that bottom part, though. That's good. We need some of that snow to melt right now. Come on, stretch your hand this way right now. How do we get there? How do we get there? We magnify Jesus or we worship him until we see more clearly. How simple is that? We magnify Jesus. Stop magnifying the issue and start magnifying Jesus. What's it mean when you magnify? You make something bigger. Just like what Rebecca said, well, I love it. She, we take these little things that are molehills and make them into mountains. We magnify that, right? Instead of walking around saying, I just magnify you, Jesus. I want to make you bigger in my life. We walk around saying, I magnify this issue that's in front of my life, and it's so big, and I don't even know how to see it, and I don't know what to do. Don't magnify the problem. Like, it's so easy. It's so easy. Don't magnify the problem. Magnify Jesus. Make him bigger in your life. Make him bigger in your life. How do you do it? Worship is a posture of your heart. It's not a period of time on Sunday when music is playing. If you're going to magnify Jesus, it's not going to happen just because we come together and hit the right beat and the right chord. It's going to have to be a posture of your heart that happens every day of your life. And it doesn't mean that you have to go for four hours and I'm laying bare before the That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you get up in the morning, are you thankful that you have another breath? When you get up in the morning, are you thankful that you are able to look at him and say, you are the one who gives me the ability to go to work and get wealth. I thank you. I worship you. I don't magnify myself or my ability. My heart is postured toward you in worship. Here's the next thing. Worship is aligning the affections of your heart to the only one found worthy. Aligning the affections of your heart to the only one found worthy. Worship is the measuring stick of your affection. I get broke down when people can't worship, seriously. You've heard me say before, I've heard people tell me to my face, I don't really like worship too much. I like the word. I want to throw the microphone at them. I really do. Don't go to heaven. Do not go to heaven. Jesus is not going to step aside and say, hey, sir, I feel like you've got a word. Would you come preach for us today? He's not doing it. You're going to see him, and you're going to be so enamored with who he is when you fully look at him face to face, and we will be worshiping night and day, day and night, declaring the worth of who the man Jesus is. Worship is the measuring stick of your affection. If you are at a place where you cannot worship, you have an issue of the heart, and he does not have your affection. Man, Ryan, why you preach so hard like that? Because he said if he's lifted up, he's the one who will draw all people to him. They're not coming because we've got great programs or great music or, or great preaching. They sure ain't coming for that. They're coming because we have made a place to build a throne 
for him. Worship is the measuring stick of your affection. And worship is the invitation for you to hope again. It's the invitation for you to hope again. What has robbed your hope? What's robbed your dream? What is it that is so big that it eclipses the man Jesus in your life? Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, give you uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust Him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with His superabundance until you radiate with hope. And that word superabundance jumped off the page the first time I saw that because I realized it was Him saying, I want to release to you another level of inheritance. Guess what? You can't work for that superabundance. You can work for what you do, and you can work for all kinds of things, but that superabundance right there, you can't work for. That kind of peace, you can't work for, and that kind of joy, you can't work for. But it comes with you putting your trust completely in Him. How do I get to a place where I can do that again? I posture my heart to magnify the only one that's found worthy. I posture my heart to worship him. To allow myself to go beyond the cynicism that I've allowed to creep into my Christian life. To remove the compartmentalizing of who he is in my life. And ask for the perspective of heaven. Come on, let's stand. I just want to give you permission to dream again. Permission to hope again. Permission to realize maybe all I have right now is a trickle. Look what is possible with a trickle. Maybe I'm in a cold, distant place. Look what is possible when you hope in Him. It's possible. Come on, just close your eyes. Here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to ask you to come down here today. I just want you to grab the hand by the person beside you, and I just want you to ask the Lord to let them hope again, to let them dream again. You don't know what they've been going through. You don't know the kind of issues that they've had. You don't know the junk that they've been through. But just release hope. Just release the ability to reach back into prophetic history and live out what the Lord has spoken over them. Come on, just lift your voice right now. Would you do that? Just pray. Pray for that person beside you to dream again, to hope again. To hope like they've never hoped. To hope against hope. Hope against hope like Abraham did. When it looks like there's no opportunity for hope, Jesus, Jesus, I just release a fresh baptism in hope today. A fresh baptism in hope today.
a fresh baptism to dream again. Wow. His arm is not short and his ear is not deaf. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would release hope today over your people. I pray for fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire. I pray for a release of hunger like never before. God, I pray for a release of hunger to worship you, to posture their hearts before you in worship as a lifestyle. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Wreck them with encounters of Holy Spirit. Wreck them with encounters of Holy Spirit in the workplace, in the shopping center, in the park, wherever it may be in their home. God, I pray right now, I pray for a fresh encounter for stay-at-home moms right now in Jesus' name, that you would release the power of the Holy Spirit to hope and to dream for those that are staying home, changing diapers and cleaning up mess after mess after mess. Release the power of the Holy Spirit over them. God, I pray for the men. I pray that you would release encounters with Holy Spirit. Give them the ability, God, to do more than express anger. Give them the ability to feel the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. Raise up fathers who are hungry for you, who will hope, who will dream. Raise up fathers who will hope and dream and speak destiny into their children as led by the Holy Spirit and not led by common sense. Release that, I pray, in Jesus' name. Release that, I pray. And God, today I pray for those that are here and they're hurting. For those that are hurting, that are wounded because of life, because of things that have happened, because of loss. God, I pray that you would come with uncontainable joy and perfect peace. That means peace with no holes in it. That means peace that has no holes in it. Where nothing can leak out. It's perfect peace in the midst of hurt. It's uncontainable joy. Jesus, release that today. Release that today over your people. I say to you, dream again. I say to you, hope again. And let the trickle that comes from the cold, distant place move into a raging river of His presence and His power that sustains not only you and your family, but generation after generation after generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us at 1725 Research Drive in Louisville, Kentucky, or online at awakeningky.com.